0: The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, January 30th,
1: 2023. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life she can rest so easily. She does everything you do
2: because
3: the
2: woman in your life is you. Hello everybody and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, and my engineer, and my co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Elaine. Oh, what a beautiful day it is in Sonoma County. I just I just I just feel very excited when I got up this morning, particularly about today's show. I have uh, two special guests this morning with me. Joining in the studio is longtime activist Alex Waco, and we'll be talking about her life and her activities Activism. Alice Waco is a retired teacher, counselor, and a longtime activist for peace and justice. In Sonoma County, she was uh, she started as an as a teacher, and educator for uh, social responsibility and around the issues of nuclear war, deforestation, and educating without bias. Uh, this local teacher, she, she was a union president, and I understand uh, that she had a led a pretty intense strike. And uh, we, are go- we are going to talk about that. Also joining me in the studio is my dear friend, uh, Susan Lamont. Uh, Susan is an activist as well. She's part of the Police Brutality, and she's going to be my co-host this morning. So good morning, Susan. Tell us a little bit well, about I, yourself.
3: This is, this is a pleasure because, you know, I realized that um, when I saw that picture of you and me with Code Pink in Washington, D.C. in 2004 that you – that was posted the other day i realized we'd known each other for more than 20 years and i've known alice maybe about one year longer about you know you about 21 years sir about 22 years so we've been doing this a long time
2: i know i'm tired (laughs) it's really funny when i came out of retirement i said to myself well i'm just going to relax but it hasn't Uh, been that way (laughs) Well, we're going to do this show a little bit different. It's the reason that I have invited Alice Waco to be on the show is because uh, she's one of our elders. I sh- I'll let her tell the age on the time if she so feels like it. But she is one of our elders in the community, and she's been an activist for a long, long time. And she's been involved so in so many, many, in so many, many events and actions that I thought it was just important to archive her, to get her on the show, to talk about what she's done, and to let let it be archived. So generations can know what this woman done in her lifetime. Because as far as I'm concerned, she's an example and a motivation for many, many people. So I'm really excited about doing this. And Susan's going to be our co-host and was so excited about Susan when I first decided I was going to come on the air. I said, Susan, you're going to be my first guest. And we went on television together and it's the only one we don't have archived, unfortunately, <laughs> but she was my first guest. So thank you both for being here. I'm really, really excited about we, it.
3: We aren't going to have enough time to cover everything. Everything this woman has done it's just
2: we'll try <laughs> i know i know. It's just so what i mean is it's so much <laughs> we will we will try well we have one announcement uh susan susan's going to handle that we're going to have a vigil uh, in downtown santa rosa this evening that's going to be against i believe talk about that a little bit susan. well
3: it's it's really a combination vigil I'm, I'm not the organizer so i'm just reporting on this but um It's called A Solidarity Vigil, and it's about the mass shootings that have happened in um, California uh, just within the past few days, and also the killing of um, Tyree Nichols in uh, Memphis. So it's about both. And it is tonight, Monday, and it's from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's at Old Courthouse Square in Santa Rosa on the um, 3rd Street side. There's the new um, Unity uh, sculpture that was just installed there, and so it's going to be in front of that that sculpture. And they are asking um, that people bring candles and flowers and signs, and uh, the theme is who keeps us safe, and the, uh, the answer to that is we keep us safe.
2: It's amazing, Susan, I just don't know what's going on. What is the psychology of people? What, what's in their minds that there's so much killing, so much brutality you know I was thinking about some of the even some of the anger groups like some of these guys like the Proud Boys and some of the others, why aren't they working for Medicare? Why aren't they working for better education for our students? Why aren't they working to stop the wars? I mean why are they, why are they working to overthrow our government and make life even more miserable for well, us?
3: Insecurity breeds this kind of thing,
2: and we, we live in a very insecure world. Well unfortunately that's true and and but the fortunate part is and this is the part of the segment that I love about our show about Women's Spaces show is and is that we do a thing called our history is our strength and the reason that I believe letting people know what our history is and whose shoulders we're standing on and to know about people like yourself, Susan, and people like Alice, that we are standing on these shoulders, it gives us more confidence. You know, it gives us say, hey, if she could do that, I could do that. And a lot of the women that I'm bringing forward are, were born in the 18 and 1900s when women, I mean, women, they were told to absolutely shut up. You know, in the church, you couldn't speak. I mean, we're just, it's like you were, it's like you were a you know, you were like an animal that was to be, you know, whatever, turned out to pasture to have lots of children. So I think it's very important to have the our history as our strength. But before we start, I know you mentioned something on the telephone to me that you're you're writing a letter uh, close to home. Would you like to just give us a little well, brief thing about what, what's on your mind?
3: Well, it's a, a little bit um, slant from the issue of the, the vigil. It's it's about the um, statement that came out from the Association of Police Chiefs for Sonoma County decrying what happened in, uh, in Memphis and also, I think, signed by the district attorney. And in my uh, thing that I've sent in, whether it gets printed, I don't know, um, I've pointed out all the similarities to the killing of Branch Roth. Five, five officers, uh, medical personnel in the room, of uh, being beaten, being tased, on and on and on. Not a peep of objection from any police chief anywhere. This is all totally according to policy. DA had no problem with it. I was in a meeting with her. I was in the courtroom. The, the deputies said that not one word was mentioned in their department about what they had done they weren't questioned about it once wow and so it's just i'm talking about the hypocrisy of this garbage letter that was sent by the police chiefs
2: can you give it one sentence maybe what, what was the what was the gist of what he said
3: oh well they, they were decrying what what happened in in memphis they, that's what the police chiefs were saying that they that this was a terrible thing that had happened and should never have happened. But they never did that about uh, oh, about oh, branch. Oh, right. They never said that about branch. Well,
2: I I, I believe our community. Personally, I mean, especially our involvement with the Andy Lopez situation and now what's happening with Measure P, our involvement in the community, we have seen that they do not, they're deniers. Mm -hmm. They do not want to face up. We have a problem in this community, and the problem is, is that we're not looking at the problem. (laughs) Or we want to get (laughs) get away from the problem. Like, oh, no, Ayolero doesn't exist. You know, we don't have to deal with them. Here the people vote on something, and we're still struggling to get accountability. Well, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for being such a good activist. And, you know, that's why I say standing on the shoulders of so many women because um, uh, there's uh, uh, an award that uh, someone is trying to – uh, honor me for, or, or uh, nominate me, and there's they ask for three three words that describe ad, adjective. You know, three adjectives that describe you. And I ask Ken. I says, Ken, what are three adjectives? First he says, Well, I'm curious. You know, I'm. He says, and I'm I'm kind. He says, but I'm fearless. Well, no, you have to be fearless. I mean, you have to stand up for what you believe, and that's what these women these women that we're going to talk about. So these are three actually three authors. It was just kind of interesting to find this out. And I want to thank the uh, National uh, Women's History Alliance because they have a wonderful, wonderful section where they talk about all the different women. And, by the way, Women's History Month is coming up, and I'm I'm proud to announce that during the month of March, there's going to be two exciting interviews and also one exciting interview during uh, uh, Black History Month. In Black History Month, I'm going to have the author of, of a book who wrote about Ida B. Wells, who's one of my heroes, and also maybe the great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells. I have my fingers crossed. And then on March for uh, Women's History Month, I'm going to bring on uh, Dr. Rosita uh, Holly again to talk. She's the niece of Dr. uh, Polly Murray, and we're going to talk about Polly Murray again. Two very vital women that had a lot to do with bringing women's rights to the forefront. But Ida B. Wells, I mean, she she was something else. So let's go ahead and talk about our history as our strength. The first person I have, this person was born on January 29th, 1926, and it looks like she's still here with us. And her name is Vivette Neely Anderson. She's the first black woman to practice law before the U.S. Supreme Court. Amazing. the first Here it was, uh, the first Supreme Court, the first woman, black woman, to practice law uh, in front of the Supreme Court. And I made a mistake. It's not her birthday. That's when she, that's when she did it, January 29th, 1926. Amazing. I mean, when you think about it, in 1926, women only had the vote for six years. And what's so interesting about about the vote is that most women were not educated to vote. You know, that's where they started the League of Women Voters. And amazing that this woman was able to get on the Supreme Court. Then on January ninth, 1941, Robin Morgan, poet, political theorist, activist, co-founder of the Women's Media Center, author of over 20 books, edited trailblazing anthology, Sisterhood is Powerful, in the 1970s. And I remember when I read that book and I said to myself, I had no idea. That I had that much inside of me as a woman, that I had that much power, and I if, if for the first time in my life, I had to step back and say, "Who am I?" And I had to look at my mother and I recognized my mother's struggle. You know, when I was reading the book, Sisterhood is Powerful, I realized that my mother wanted to be more progressive. But she was kind of caught in a box and everybody made sure that she stayed in that box. So it's very, very interesting. Well, here's another person that did something very, very, very interesting. And that she did this in January 30th, 1890. Now, just think about this. 1890. What would women like? I mean, you definitely couldn't smoke. You know, God forbid you had sex before you were married. That would be a no no. Education? All you were offered would be a secretary or a teacher. You no, know, if you weren't a wife, you know. So when you think day, here, January thirtieth, eighteen ninety, Angie Debo spent her lifetime examining historical implications of settlements of Native American Indians. Wrote and still the waters run in nineteen forty, describing the criminal conspiracy that defrauded Oklahoma's five civilized tribes of their lands. What a commitment that woman made. And it's really, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, I look up the history, okay, and the Still Waters Run. It's a classic work which tells the tragic story of the spoilization of the Chickawa, the Chickasaw, the Cherokee, the Creek, and the Seminole nations at the turn of the century. And this woman had the courage to bring it forward. I can just, I can just visualize, I can just see some of the down, some of the horrible things that happened there. I was thinking about when, uh, uh, when, uh, 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 water, what, who wrote, Rachel Carson wrote, uh, um, Silent Spring, how the, uh, industry, the, uh, pesticide industry just jumped on her and made her like she was a fool. I can just I can just hear, I can almost hear the criticism of this woman in my mind when I think about it, when she wrote about this tragic. I mean, this is, this is really, oh, it's kind of interesting. Well, there's a lot to think about. We are standing on the shoulders of many, many great women, and we have to think about that, and we have to appreciate it, and we have to read, and we have to understand what we've been through and how hard it is and was to get where we are today and there are powers now that just want to grab it away from us. You know, they just want to take it away from us. You know, just think about it. In 1970, we couldn't even get a credit card. You know my sister is very funny. I'll tell you a funny story about uh, credit cards. My sister had just gotten her teacher credential, my sister Evie. And she decided she wanted to get a higher degree so she moved up to Sonoma County with me and she was going to go to Sonoma State and when we went to try to re- rent homes there was a there was a line. I mean a line and we got to this house on Alta Avenue and we went through all the rigmarole, and my sister says, we're not going to get it. You know, we're real nervous about it. And suddenly, Mrs. Lane, that was the ad, uh, the landlady, she walks up to us. Do any of you girls, I'll never forget that, girls, and I hadn't even gotten into women's studies yet, so it didn't, it didn't violate me at that point. Any of you girls have a credit card? Well, my sister just got a credit card from Citibank. They had just opened, the law had just changed for women, and they sent, Uh, credit cards out to all the teachers. So my sister happened to have a credit card and we just happened to rent that house because of that and five years later I ended up buying the house and Mrs. Lang said to me she said isn't it interesting Elaine that you now can sign your name she was about she was about 85 years old she says Elaine isn't it really interesting that you get to sign your name on this deed she says when I bought the house it was I couldn't my, my husband had to sign it and I had a real hard time inheriting it even when he died so it's amazing we have come a long way and we have to really become a Aware of how temporary it can be given some of the powers that are being today than some of the actions that are taking. It's pretty. It's pretty sad. Well, anyway, that's a lot to think about, and we're going to give you a lot to think about during this interview, but that's what Women's Spaces is all about, to get women to get up and speak out, start thinking about things, start appreciating who they are as women, seeing the power that they have. You know, we're the majority, not the minority you know and we better start acting like the majority i mean my god it's 2023 and we've had 50 years of freedom and now they want to say uh uh-uh, uh ladies we're going we're going to make sure we want to protect all those little fetuses we need them to send them off to war when the time is right that's my that's my feeling Want to be honest with you, anyway? We're going to take a musical break now. And the song I'm going to be playing is called The Chimes of Freedom and it's sung by Julie Felix. It's a Bob Dylan song. And I remember I believe that this was the song that I heard Bob Dylan sing when I lived in New York. And I remember I turned to to the person I was with who later on turned out to be my husband. I turned to him and I said. Is that really true? What he's saying. Is that really true that these are things are really happening? And my Richard turned around. He says, "I really don't know." But we were in the th- we were in the thick of the Laotian War and all the different things that were going on and we knew that he was not going to go to war. I mean it was a very very interesting time, and we're going to do this in in a different way. I'm going to play half the song now, and then we'll take a musical break later on, and I'm going to play the other song the other half because I think it's well worth listening to. When we return, joining me in the studio is Alice Waco and Susan Lamont. You know, as I said, Susan is co-hosting with me this day today, and she may have a few questions for Alice. We have a a structure here and when we come back we'll be talking about, with Alice Waco. we'll be talking about her life and her commitment to activism and to peace and justice. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's play Chimes of Freedom.
1: Far between sundown's finish And midnight's broken toll. We ducked inside the doorway This thunder went crashing As majestic Bells of boats Struck shadows in the sand, Seeming to be The chimes of freedom Flashing Flashing for the world Whose strength is not to fight Flashing on armed road flight, and flashing for the underdog soldier in the night. And we gazed upon the chimes of freedom flashing in the city's melted furnace. Unexpectedly. faces hidden as the walls were tightening and the echo of the wedding bells before the and rain dissolved into the bend of the lightning tolling for the rebel tolling for abandoned and fate, and tolling for the outcast burning constantly its day and we gazed upon the chimes of freedom flashing through the mad misty cannery of the wild ripping hail the sky its forms in naked wonder and the clinging of the church bell blew far into the green leaving only bells of lightning and its thunder striking for the gentle striking for the kind striking and protectors of the mind, and the poet, and the painter, far behind their rightful time, and we gazed upon the chimes of freedom flashing.
2: Those chimes so loud The chimes of freedom calling Well for you just joining I want to remind my listeners The opinions expressed here are not necessarily The opinions of the station It's board of directors, it's members Or Women's Spaces Welcome back You're listening to Women's Spaces And I'm your host Elaine B. Holtz And joining me in the studio are Alice Waco And Susan Vermont Both long time activists Welcome, welcome both of you to Women's Spaces Let's hear your voice, about Thank you.
0: Oh, okay, here I am. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me.
2: Well, it's really a thrill. It's, it's really an honor thrill.
0: to be with both of you.
2: <laughs> it's a thrill to have you in the studio today. And before we begin, Alice, is it okay if I tell folks just a little bit about you? And also, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Susan's going to be kind of a co host today. If you have any questions or, or Alice says something that all of a sudden you want to get a little bit more from her, and we hope we can get it all done, I mean, I've, I've allowed us as much possible time as I could. So, let me let me tell folks just a little bit about you, Alice, and it's very very your, your your resume is very impressive. Alice Waco is a retired teacher, counselor, and a longtime activist for peace and justice in Sonoma County. She started an organization of teachers, educators for social responsibility around the issues of nuclear war, de- deforestation, and educating about without bias. As a local union president, she led a strike for the collective bargaining for teachers' negotiation in Santa Rosa. Her passion for peace and justice drew her to Nicaragua during the revolutionary during the revolutionary on an educational tour, which led her to, uh, for a thirty-five year commitment to organize a nonprofit in the United States to fund Contra C A N T E R A a popular education organization in Nairobi. Wow, that is really Im- it's, it's, that is really impressive. When she retired from teaching and counseling, she joined an international group, Alternative to Violence Project. And, you know, that's something that Alice and I have talked a lot, and I hope she, we get have a chance to get into what this program is about and spend the next 20 to 25 years volunteering in, pres- uh, in prisons with that AVP. Uh, notably... Through all the years she's been in Santa Rosa, her life has been woven into the Peace and Justice Center of Sonoma County from the very beginning, organizing through the wars, protesting locally, and at School of the Americas in spirituality and and stays healthy. But the most prized part of her life was with her soulmate, Bill McGee, which I think is wonderful. And actually, Alice gave me a booklet that Bill McGee wrote, a beautiful little story. Anything else you'd like to add, Alice? Well, i got
0: stuff to add um, in terms when it comes up, I'll add things. But I want to say that when you were reading all about the wonderful women, and I think about Susan, what she's done. and you. Know, I mean, it's very difficult for me to think of myself as this activist, like I keep being told. But I am an activist, I guess, by birth. I think my mother was an activist, but never got a chance to act it out in public. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> and just once, she kicked... Nixon off her porch when he came to be governor of California to get her vote, she said, I don't vote for crooks. Get off my porch. (laughs) So I think that was a little lesson that she shared with me that was important.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say you don't see yourself as an activist. You know, that's one issue that women have. We don't see ourselves as the powerful human entities that we are, and we don't. We, 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 It's like that image just doesn't fit with us. You know, we think we should be another way, and yet people are telling us we should be this way, and we, we can't quite do. We can't do it. So my suggestion is just let us judge you. Well, I,
0: (laughs) I, I I use the word rebel. I was a rebel when I was a child. I was a rebel when I was in the convent. Um, I've always been a rebel. And it kind of fits me more, I think.
2: than activist rebel.
0: <laughs> the rebel.
2: Rebel with yeah. the cause. Well, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned. You know, one of the things I remember when I first met you, uh, we were talking, and then someone pulled me over in the side. You know, people are said, did you know that Alice was a nun? And I said, uh, oh, really? You know, and I said, so I've always wanted to know about that. So was that part of your rebellion to become a nun?
0: No, it was... I loved the nuns, and it was a, they were a very important part of my growing up. And um, I, I lived with six brothers and part-time with a sister, and um, I never fit in. I didn't even have a bedroom. I slept in the hall, or I slept wherever they could open this cot. And, um, but I think some of that was good training in that I became independent, and some of it, I think, affected me very deeply in not belonging to my family. And, um, but I don't think it was my mother's fault. I think it was the unawareness of people then realizing that these actions had an effect on people.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. I remember, I remember in the 70s when they came out with Children Learn What They Live, you know that whole if they learn to live with love, they they love. If they learn to live with violence, they become violent. And I think that's true. I think during that time, during the second wave of the women's movement, I think that's when psychology was more apparent, and people were looking at some of the damage that you know does to children by some of these some of these just the small things that make a big difference. Well, that was a
0: very difficult time to be born. I was born in 1931.
2: Oh, two years into the depression
0: right in the depression and we came out from cleveland when i was 3 years old because my dad worked for an ice company and they invented refrigerators yep. so he came out and was a wpa worker all during the depression except that he drank away a lot of the money that he made as a wpa worker so we grew up very poor during the depression and during that time, I mean, like we—my mother would make clothes for us, and think, probably your mother did, and your mother did. But it was mainly because we had no money,
2: Reminds me and of we fun.
0: had very little food, and and there was a survival mode there, you know, during that depression time. I remember it very, very much so. I, um, in terms of of not knowing whether we would have enough food. But my brother, at about somewhere between 10 and 12, got chickens and made a chicken coop and raised eggs and all that. When that was really helpful because when my mother, when we had to be rationed because of the war and we had coupons, she never could get shoes for us. She didn't have enough shoe coupons. So she would trade eggs for shoe coupons.
3: Oh, I, she, have, I have my grandmother's book of coupons that was left over. I still it. have it. Yeah. yeah, I would believe that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, what you're saying makes me think there are a lot of people who came out of the Depression very conservative because it became about conserving. Yeah. And others came out with a real social justice framework. And I'm wondering if you have any idea which made you, what happened that made you become social justice oriented as a, as opposed to conservative? Do you have any idea? Well, there's
0: probably some unconscious things there, like like my dad I brought home when I was about in the maybe fifth or sixth grade, my friend. God, I always knew his name. Now I forgot it. <laughs> um, and he was black from school. And there were, there were no black people in my neighborhood. So, you know, it was different experience. But anyway, my dad told him to go ha- home and never come back again. And so that, I think, was probably the deepest thing in me that pushed me into activism I mean, I don't... My conscious level didn't say that, but I think unconsciously I was so affected by the fact because I didn't even know that there was something wrong about being black. Well,
2: that's what it is with children. Like, again, children learn what they live. You know, know, you're told a certain thing and that's how you live your life. Well, out of this experience, you you go through life and then uh, suddenly you you become a nun.
0: Yeah, because the my uncomfortableness at home enabled me to be generous and go to the nun's convent on Saturday. My brother and I did that and helped them clean. So we got to know them personally. And they, and the, all my teachers, I had the most wonderful teachers. And when I was in the second grade, oh my God, my teacher, Sister Conradine, was her name. I remember her so well. And um, she was just so beautiful. And so at that point, I said, I'm going to be a nun, because then I can be like that.
2: So I you became got, a nun.
0: So I became a nun when I got out of high school at 18. And I stayed being a nun until I was 43.
2: Oh, 43. So you were good, a good chunk of time.
0: 42. I guess I was 42. Yeah. Long time. 20. It was almost 25 years. Oh my I always said... I was married to Jesus for twenty-five years, and I was married to Bill for twenty-five years.
2: So, so what happened? I mean, what happened during <laughs> this time? How did you all of a sudden one morning wake up and say, "This isn't for me"? Or did you fall in love, or what? What happened?
0: No, I didn't fall in love. I was at a big conference, a big nun conference for our order, in the chapel, and I was listening, and my, I kind of shaking almost, and I said, "I don't belong here anymore." And at the end of it, I walked up to the office of the superior and said, I want to leave, but I want two years to get ready for it. And they gave it to me. So I went to San Francisco. That's how I ended up in San Francisco um, to, and worked for the CYO because I just wanted to not teach for two years. I wanted to be with youth. Because the youth had taught me so much by me when I was teaching them. And I found that that's where I belonged.
2: So then after you came out, you become a teacher, and then did you be, meet Bill and then get married?
0: I met him as I was going to leave, about two-thirds of the year.
2: Was he also uh, in, in, in the ministry?
0: Yes, he was a priest, and he was... Bill was... Um, an extraordinary human being, he really was. That's why I wrote that. Um, and Susan knows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And and well, I knew him too. He was a, there was a, a aura about him that yeah, was just an aura. something that brought you in and that you felt comfortable.
0: Yes, that's exactly a good description of him. Yeah. And but he also supported me a hundred percent in activism. He 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 was not. An activist, but he was a believer, a hundred percent in it, and um, and he'd always say, "I'm so proud of you," and all that, you know. But that was Bill. He always put the light on the other person, and. Um, I don't know where I started with that sentence, but
3: that's okay. <laughs>
0: that's a good place to end
2: it. Well, you know, talk about talk about what what was your first activism? I mean, what all of a sudden really got you, you know, got your hair standing on end? You know, I know for me, I the the biggest the big uh, the two biggest activism that I was involved in. The first one was marching for abortion. That was the first one. I was adamant about that.
0: Well, this was not my first one. This was that I want to share first, because you were talking about this a little while ago. Activism comes in a lot of ways. And I was in the school system up here as a public school teacher, and it was my maybe second year there. Must have been after my second, because then I was safe <laughs> to <laughs> confront. And we had a career day, and all the speakers were male. And so I did a petition. And, and the male teachers all signed my petition and around the school that we should be including women in our careers. And, um, and the superintendent wrote a letter of discipline and put it in my personnel file over this petition. Oh, and so I had to really confront him about that. And, um, and he listened, and he took it out. You
3: know, it's, you, it's okay? like when I was uh, applying to architecture school and the dean said women can't be architects. And I wrote a letter and they said, well, we're going to put this in your file. Reject. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you bring you bring that up about you know the activism, and you know the women, and getting this to see. Where, where did you get your courage? I mean, this is early. This is early speaking out. I mean, where did you get the courage to even say something? But even as a nun,
0: um, in I was part of the first found. I did not found it. I just found Marge to in Chicago, who started Network, which is a political organization. And at that time, it was called NAWR, N-A-W-R, National Association of Women Religious. So I was active as a nun. And I, I mean, even the, I wrote letters to get guys not have to go to Vietnam that I taught, that I felt I could support, did that. I did things in the schools, the Catholic schools, like we would have, a fast day at the school, F-A-S-T, where we didn't eat all day, and then they would bring in vegetables, and we'd make a big soup at the end of the day, and we'd all drink this soup and go out and do some active action.
2: Oh, so it was kind of of just...
0: My students supported, a lot of them supported me in action, not only in the Catholic school, but even at Santa Rosa High, because I was a chemistry teacher, you know, and I taught about nuclear energy. And I was anti nuclear energy, but I did this experiment with them and never showed any bias through the whole source of the thing. And at the end of it, in their test, how does your teacher think about nuclear? Oh, she's for it. <laughs> and i was so shocked by their answers that i gave did a whole political thing and they many of them joined me downtown in an anti nuclear
2: so that was an inspiration because all of a sudden you saw oh my god they're misunderstanding me misunderstanding me i have to i have to do something different yeah, and so then i got
0: unbiased <laughs> i yeah. mean i got biased
3: if you're and not told saying the if, right if, thing yeah if you're not speaking against something you must be in support of it, yeah. and essentially, that's what yeah. how people do think.
0: In fact, yeah. when I first came to Santa Rosa, you couldn't have teachers who were controversial. I mean, speakers who were controversial in your classroom. And finally, I I didn't like that because I felt like I wasn't getting across. Because chemistry chemistry students said I was were getting I got across, but I felt like I needed to get to the feelings of the kids and have them think about things a lot deeper so i asked the administration if i could have if i could do an elective for 10th graders around counseling around things about themselves and they thought that was a good idea and they let me do it and it turned out to be a favorite of the kids i had waiting lists because they love talking about themselves and learning about themselves and um, I said, "But I won't do it unless I can
2: have controversial speakers." Well, good so. for you. Well, I want to get to this la- this last question before we take a musical break here. You, you outside of, uh, of Sonoma County. You were pretty active. Because I, I, when you sent me uh, your bio, I noticed that you organized a nonprofit in the United States to fund. It, it's called CONTRA, C-A-N-T-E-R-A. Is that correct? CONTERRA. CONTRA means, sounds a little bit controversial. It, it, I know. <laughs> when you said, con, I saw, you <laughs> said
0: con, CONTRA, <laughs> I went, oh, my God. I know. <laughs> I, know, I know.
2: I mean, I'm really sorry about that. That's why I asked well, you. Well, I, I mean, went on a,
0: a te- teacher or nine of us to Nicaragua in the middle of the war. It was I was down there and when sixty Minutes was there and they kept trying to get us to say things that none of us would say because they weren't true. And um, and I remember you know the, them walking away very angry at us <laughs> and never reported any of that. And when they came back. Um, They saw the same things I saw in the war. And and it really affected me very deeply. And I was by myself before and after the tour. So I was able to walk around and experience the whole beautiful people of Nicaragua. So there's one Sister Mary Hartman. She was a nun down there for 50-some years. And she was very active in the Sandinistas, with the Sandinistas. She actually was part of their organizing. (laughs) She's dead, so I can say that now (laughs) about (laughs) her. And so I finally got to go back to Nicaragua in 89, I guess it was, and met her and got involved. And so, this organization is a popular education organization, empowering the people, especially women is where they started. so that women, And now Nicaragua is, of all the Central American countries, it's the most empowered
2: women in Nicaragua. Do you find, if I, I'm finding more and more as I, as I become more and more active that there are more women involved. Mm-hmm. There tends to be more women than men involved. Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting. So in this organization,
0: we helped financially by raising funds in the United States, but it was never enough. I mean, Belgium helped them. Um, Spain helped them. Germany helped them big time. And so they, we, it grew from the beginning, and I didn't help in the growing except being there with them and being on their you know, making decisions with them, helping them. And so they bought property and open centers in all the different poor rural areas. And um, we have people here in Sonoma County that have gone with me down there, and they could tell you because they've all been moved by it. And they, so anyway, they have organic farms, Raise bees, sell honey, to make money, to pay their staff, you know, and stuff. That
2: must be that must be a very satisfying feeling. It
0: is, except this last year, the government shut them down. They shut down almost a thousand nonprofits, and they took all their property. I mean, it wasn't just. I mean, it was a huge education center on these grounds, with cabanas and everything, so you could have overnight visitors and. All kinds of buildings that they took from them. They took their they let their bees die at the
2: farm and the whole farm got destroyed by the community. You know what's interesting about you saying but you talking about that about here a group build something up, you know, and then all of a sudden the government comes and just trashes it you know it it makes me feel i don't i I don't know if i'm off the wall or not but i think of this whole idea old conflict that's going on in our community with ayolero you know here the people come together they go to meetings they bring all the evidence they work and they work and, and most of them are volunteers then they finally put it on the on the board you know it's getting elected all of a sudden all the election people they all gather around they're all supporting it and once it's in now the police take over and they say we don't know this we don't know about this now you know and all of a sudden all these different lawsuits so it people need to be aware we need to be aware that in order for us to really have change, we have to keep our eye on the prize. We can't just say, oh, yeah, well, we elected him, and, you know, it's going to be okay because it just doesn't work that way. It really doesn't.
0: But this is after 35 years of nothing but positive work.
2: Well, that's the problem. And then
0: <laughs> and then, over not reporting, which is wrong. They, The government says they didn't report how much money which is wrong. They reported it all because we have an organization here that we started called Friends of Conterra, and they raised the money for Nicaragua. And so we know that they are using. We don't give them the money until they tell us how much they need. See? So oh,
2: wow, it's amazing. It's
0: sad. It's so sad.
2: Well, you know, before we're going to take a break right now and spend the other half of the hour with you, uh, Alice, and talking about the nonviolent project. I think that's very important. That's one of the most actually. That's one of the most important projects that you've worked on, I believe, with the, in the prisons and being creating all that work. Kevin. And also, I hope we have time to get into the Peace and Justice Center. But if we don't get time, I'm going to have you back for a part two. As, I, this she clearly needs a part two? You know, be, and and the whole <laughs> idea, the whole idea, just to let my listeners know, the whole idea about this is that the idea that I've had at the beginning of Women's Spaces was to archive women that are doing things archive ordinary women because Alice is an ordinary woman I mean she was a school teacher a nun I mean all these different things she did she wasn't a millionaire a zillionaire she wasn't you know a big deal politician and here she did take all these steps so I think it's very important so Ken let's play a little bit of the second part of Chimes of Freedom and then we'll come back and we'll finish this conversation
1: Evening, the rain unravels tales of the hopeless, faceless forms of no position, Tolling for the tongues that have no place to bring their thoughts. All down and taken for granted situations. The mute, for the mistreated maidless mother, the mistitled prostitute, and the misdemeanor outlaw, chained and cheated by pursuit, and we gazed upon the chimes of freedom play. Sorry-eyed and laughing, as I recall when we were caught, trapped by no paths of ours. They hang suspended, and we listened one last time, watched with one last look, spellbound and swallowed as the chiming in. Countless, confused, accused, misused, strung out ones and words. And for every hunger person in this whole wide universe, and we gazed upon the chimes of freedom.
2: Bob Dylan oh boy you should have been a woman I just love it it's just amazing I just amazing this song it's called chimes of freedom and i'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put the lyrics on my website www.womenspaces.com, because you need to read this you know because it, it's it just it's it's a story it's telling about how difficult it is to make change on so many levels well welcome back you're listening to women's bases my name is elaine b holtz and i'm your host and with me in my studio are two of my favorite people i have susan lamont who's co-hosting for me susan's an activist here in sonoma county and worked very hard at police brutality and also in the andy lopez situation and also with measure p and I think she needs a standing ovation for all she's done, and Alice Waco, who has been an activist in our community for many, many years, who's uh, telling her stories. You know, and Alice, you have quite a few. You have quite a few stories. You know.
0: I know the one that I really want to talk a little bit about was the strike. Yes. <laughs> in Santa Rosa.
2: Well, we're, 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 the strike in Santa Rosa was for the teachers' strike.
0: It was a teachers' strike, but. I, a very principal part of my life was being a union activist. This is a union hall I'm sitting in right now. Proud to be sitting in it, and um, and I was part of the national uh, of the Santa Rosa Teachers Union. I was their president for a couple years, and then um, I was also a very active state representative for the union, and I was a national representative for the union. So I was involved in all three levels of decision-making, you know, and we pushed so much through the CTA and the NEA in terms of peace and justice, and at the NEA convention many years ago, we started what's called a Peace and Justice Caucus and we caucused for peace and justice issues through the union system when we were doing the, the decision-making for the year. I bet you were constantly told, what does this have to do with teaching, right? Oh, yeah, constantly. <laughs> but you know that peace and justice caucus still exists in the union.
2: Well, you know, that's an interesting question. What does this have to do With teaching, one of the things that our county aspires to an awful lot is that, oh, we got to match the wages, we got to pay so much money to this person, or we're not going to get quality people. Well, these people are the ones who are teaching our children. They should be the first priority. I think the people that pick up the trash and the teachers are the two most important people in our community. I don't care what anybody says. You know, it's amazing. If you don't have educated people, you can't have a democracy. If you don't have a clean, if you don't have a clean city, you can't have good health.
0: Well, you know, when we were on strike and we were on strike principally for collective bargaining because they passed it in California, and and then. They never would honor and use it, so we. That's why we went on strike, and of course to get better
2: wages. You know. Well, my love, I hate to say this, but Ken just gave me the four minute, the four minute fingers here. <laughs>
3: Let we, me know. We may actually ready. need three
0: parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that part about in the song when Dylan talks about protectors of the mind. Mm-hmm. That's what he was talking about. Yep, us protectors of the mind the yes, teachers. Na-
2: absolutely well let's, let's we're going to come into last words and what, what what are some of your last words we never got to the non-violent which I think is very important you want to say a few words about that
0: in how many seconds
2: well no, we've got we've got about three minutes
0: <laughs> oh okay well alter- when I retired I knew I had to find something where I was working with youth because that's what I love doing. And so I found this group called Alternatives to Violence Project, AVP for short. And they work outside and mainly in the prisons on learning to be nonviolent. But they do it in the most beautiful way. It's an experiential three-day workshop for the first round. And they experience exercises and sharing in a way that they learned that there's goodness in them and there's goodness in everybody else. And you can tell by that statement that the Quakers were very involved in putting that program together with the um, um, group that did all the initial um, anti-racism beginnings in the United States. They put this program together, realizing the prisons were filled with blacks, you know, all over.
2: And you're working—you're working with men. I worked mainly with men. How do you get to? How do you? How, how What do you feel your secret was for getting them to pay attention to you? I mean, is we it pretty had rough?
0: no problem, none. Uh, You—we'll have to
2: talk about this in the next round. Well, we've come to the end of the segment, and I hate to say this, but. We did, <laughs> and it's been absolutely wonderful, Alice. And, and see gonna, now, she's eager to come back. Yes, I know. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. No, we want to get her. We want to get her recorded so we have her. We have her history on tape. So I'm going to give you a chance for last words, real quickly. Any websites or anything that you'd like to uh, let us know.
0: When you said that about the last word, my mind immediately went to Ukraine because I was involved in the beginning with the sister city, Ukraine, in Cherkasy, And the fact that this country is being destroyed is absolutely, unbelievably horrible. But there's also a need to have peace talks. And they we haven't done that like we did in the other wars, to, to have people sit down and figure out you can't go on killing people and destroying property. It doesn't work. And even no matter if it's wrong or right. So I encourage everybody to push the government to encourage peace talks immediately for Ukraine.
2: I mean, you think you take a few million dollars to pay for some good arbitrators, you know, take about maybe, 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 a, maybe one million or two million dollars to hire people that can actually do that.
0: So I call for also the youth to come forth because they have in the in the climate. I want them to come forth in peace.
2: Well, Peaceful. Alice Waco, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Spaces, and also Susan Lamont for co-hosting me. You're just wonderful, and we're going to have you back, Alice. We're not finished. <laughs> we're not finished. In fact, I think I might I might try to record you not not on the air, but to do a private recording and then putting it on the air. Well that's it folks. That's it for our show. You've been listening to Women's Faces. I'm your host, Elaine P. Holtz, and I appreciate you listening. And remember, like I do every show, our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that. She
1: knows everything you do because the woman in your life.
2: The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on monday january thirtieth twenty twenty three.